0: Good morning, Cam.
1: Good morning, Kalen.
0: Happy Sunday. How are you?
1: I'm doing good (laughs) or well.
0: There's a pause on the good.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it was like, do I say I'm doing well? You know how people don't say, like, I guess it's really, you shouldn't say I'm doing good, but I say that a lot. and uh,
0: It doesn't sound odd to me out loud, though I'm certain, like, though I understand that it's incorrect, so I don't know, roll with it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, say whatever you want, but you know whatever i i'm exhausted <laughs>
0: <So>. <laughs> yeah. why are you exhausted
1: just stuff that you know coding and uh and and the likes yeah i'm kind of just like deep in this uh research of uh or i don't know research prototyping of just something i'm trying out and uh you know when i get my mind set on something i just uh go all in so
0: yeah that's cool. I I know nothing about this, so I'm like very curious.
1: Uh yeah, that's true. I uh honestly the yeah, the project is not something I don't think it'll be so much. I don't know if it'll actually be useful. Uh but I've been taking this whole week to be very like exploratory with stuff and um and just kind of like pursue random little paths uh without, you know, too much uh, constraint. Cool. Yeah, and so I'm trying to work on building basically like a a site builder type of thing. Um, If you think of like Squarespace or um, I don't know, even Shopify or WordPress, how you can like do like drag and drop stuff. But kind of a level of abstraction below that at this point, um, where it's still in code uh, and And being able to just like, because all these site builders are kind of like built usually in, uh, I don't know, like a a UI online or whatever. But right now I'm just trying to get something working. So that for myself, I could be able to turn around client projects really quickly uh-huh. and it doesn't necessarily need to interact with like a drag and drop interface and, and things like that. That would be kind of like the long run goal. But I think for now, if I could just have something that um, could allow me to move really quickly uh, in that it's already set up with like most of the things like a video player, a photo gallery, those types of things and, and have it in my stack that I know and like to work in then it can help me kind of like deliver um, faster because I have this reusable thing. So,
0: yeah. So like in the absence of a UI, is it like using some kind of like markdown or like what? Like how do you like, what does that look like?
1: Yeah. So um, it's, it's just using React. Yeah. And... TypeScript and what TypeScript can kind of do. Like, I, I used to, uh, TypeScript for a lot of the data fetching side of Beer Finder, actually. And what you can do uh, for TypeScript is a, program, prog- uh, it's a programming language. <laughs> oh, I language. see. <laughs> yeah.
0: Uh,
1: it's kind of a superscript of JavaScript. Got it. And it just adds certain features to that language, to JavaScript, where it allows you to predefine kind of what you expect. The shape of things to be when you're grabbing data or using any I don't know functions or data, and so I can define like what those will uh, kind of um, the shape of those objects will be in advance, so that in my code editor I can just type a type and it will start correcting me or auto populating. Got it. It's kind of like a oh, okay. CMS in a way. If I'm the only person editing it, it's like uh, yeah. So it- yeah
0: it's like a it's like a diy sounds like a diy autocorrect you know what i mean
1: (laughs) yeah it is it is like that and and that's kind of something i don't know i i really like just being able to like work right in the code and kind of keep my data there as well like as soon as you get to this point of having like a separate um like a database that you Mm -hmm. have to you have the network calls to manage and fetching the data how do you ensure it's the right shape and all this and i think i'll you know if i can build simple websites where a lot of this stuff is uh managed right in the code then that will be easier obviously though there will need to be like clients will want to manage their data and so there will need to be some sort of way to like fit that together yeah but uh for now i'm just trying to like explore this and i can i can build something that would be kind of like an adapter so that i could kind of um, you know, connect to this database or this CMS and then adapt it to the um, right. tooling that I'm creating so that it just kind of fits in a bit easier. But still, most of that work would be done. And that is kind of like with this... Um, I guess I'm... I don't know. I'm not even like... This isn't so much an update as just kind of like getting into um, stuff I've been thinking about because I don't really have any formalized stuff this week. No, Um, I mean,
0: I, I, I still think it's an update. I think it's interesting. Like, uh, I just like really like in general where people are like, I'm going to just solve my own problems and like, see where, see where that goes. Like at minimum, hopefully it just makes your workflow easier when you're doing freelance projects. And I, well, I don't know what the maximum is because my imagination isn't that strong, but, um, so somewhere, somewhere along the road, (laughs) maybe like other people, yeah, the max (laughs) a millionaire. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Maybe that's the maximum, um, (laughs) is like, maybe other people can make use of it as well. I'm not sure.
1: Yeah, I'm going to just keep exploring with it. It it com- kind of comes back to something that I, uh, that we originally were trying to work on at Ecobee. I think that's kind of like how we started building that site. I was actually just asking Diego a couple of questions about it uh, the other day uh, around just kind of the format of um, how it was structured. But I kind of like left the team right as they were like getting going with that. And I've always right. like wanted to come back to this idea of like, Uh, site builder, but more for like the modern web in in JavaScript and kind of not so much like WordPress, which has this whole... I don't know. It has a lot of great things about it. And I'm realizing actually how hard of a project it would be to build out like a whole CMS and WordPress thing. But to do something scaled down in code, like you said, it can help me to move faster. And part of what I'm realizing is like, if I want to be i don't know i'm not sure if i want to be just building websites for clients but if i do want to have like a really like kind of value-based pricing model instead of charging hourly which i'll get into more issues with like the hourly pricing uh and value pricing um there are issues with both but value pricing would would kind of be like um the value that you're providing to the client as opposed to the hourly rate that you're spending on something. If I can build all this out and it can only take like a day or two to make a website. um, But the value is 10 X more than that. Then you have this buffer of like how much you can charge in there for it. That, you know, it's like cost of time, but well, this is kind of cost plus, I guess. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like you could have kind of a minimum of how much time you've spent on this, uh, like to recover your, uh, like you would need to charge this much to recover for your time. But then you can also have the value of what the client's getting at and kind of have this window in there to to be charging. So if a website's going to generate them, you know, how much more in sales or it's going to give them better branding and those types of things, then, you know, basically it just will allow me to streamline processes. Um, I'm not sure... I'm not sure if I'll use this, but (laughs) it's been a fun exploration.
0: Yeah, it's it's interesting. Even like in my in my previous job, which um, for anyone who doesn't know was uh, focused on web scraping, like we had our own kind of scraping platform, and so like similar to what you're doing, like the more and more efficient that we could get at doing that, and the easier that we could make it for developers to um, create these scrapers, um, like the the higher and higher conceivably like profit margins could be. Right. And so it's like a lot of what you're doing, but a focus on like, how do we make libraries that make doing all of these things in web scraping, the absolute easiest that it could possibly be. Um, And it's actually interesting because Similar to how you're talking about like, you know, there's like site builders, which like really work for some people, but then there's like these other use cases. And I like actually working like in like the code or the editor, like the evolution of our product to like the version 1.0 was like very much, it was within like an IDE. So there was very much like specific boxes where you could write specific code, but like there was like limitations around it. And then, like, the next iteration of the whole um, project was that, like, there's a ton of libraries and tools and stuff available to you, but that you could do everything in your own editor and you could just, like, pull from a repo. And, like, it was a lot more flexible for developers. So, um, yeah, it's, like, I don't know. It's interesting how, like, different use cases served the company um, at different times. And just, like, also, based on the types of uh, developers that we worked with, um, we adjusted things over time as well.
1: Yeah, I think you see you know there are so many commonalities even though all these like projects or companies can take like bespoke approaches to it there are so many commonalities in the way that you like approach at least the code design of these and and often you'll you know you'll do your 1.0 version you realize oh we like we want to have this one layer of abstraction above it so it's just like you know you if you change a certain number of things instead of it being like hard coded in the code base, you can you can even pull that out and then keep your data structures separate from the code and have this yeah. reusable or kind of plug in oriented configuration for things and uh, and I find that really interesting i I hear it you know I listen to some podcasts of founders and talking about how they've structured their first version, second version, and it, it constantly comes up of this um. I hear a few words that come up, but one that's very common is kind of this recipes. Uh, like, oh. I guess it's, it would be like a methodology or just, um, I don't know, like a way of thinking about um, programming and, or not even so much programming, but of designing your application um, where you can... And I've even had this thought when I worked at uh, Luca or used to be called LogoJoy. Um, and we were trying to build, uh, these kind of, you know, a series of things of events or instructions that you would give to a program, uh, so that something would happen. It Mm -hmm. might be like, make a default logo with these colors and this background and this font. And we would call something like that a recipe and basically just like making this, uh, like something that you could pull out and give to other people like pull it out of hard coded so that you could make a recipe and kind of like reuse those across and you could structure different recipes and i'm seeing it come up everywhere right now (laughs) in that a lot of people are taking this approach to um how they're designing applications to allow other people to write their own recipes so Mm -hmm. that kind of is like a plug-in system yeah it's super interesting to me um I guess going back to the like um, why even why why even bother w- with with doing what I'm doing with this like yeah. page builder and stuff um, I've been thinking a lot about so th- this week actually on early in the week I had a like my client that I was doing some work for recently messaged me and wanted to chat and so we jumped on the phone and we were talking about the project that was like kind of that checkout project that I did for them and Mm -hmm. I was charging hourly on it and you know we made decisions along the way there's complexities in designing software and so you know it took longer than we expected surprise it's software that's kind of what happens but you know it ended up being you know well beyond the budget that they were initially anticipating and you know it was more or less like a communication issue uh or like a lack of communication maybe between us of saying you know what don't move forward with that uh, right now if it's going to go beyond this budget so um i was dealing with one person in the company but the other person was was kind of very busy and and they were the ones who were would be more concerned with budget. Whereas the person I was dealing with was more concerned around like, let's ship this code. So it ended up being this position of like, well, man, that cost a lot more than we thought. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that I could have necessarily anticipated like how much this project would have cost because there's some exploration involved and, you know, you run into these bumps along the way that are like, uh, yeah, that never would have expected that issue to come up and that's going to cost another week of development time yeah so you know i could have imagined a price up front that would have been like x dollars but to really be safe like you need to assess the risk there of how much could change in that that time yeah Uh, otherwise i'm i'm gonna maybe shoot myself in the foot say it's two weeks run into a roadblock like yes in a perfect world this is two weeks but you know we might run into these issues Um, yeah, yeah. I
0: think, um, I think all that pricing stuff is super interesting and it's like, it's like, seems like a state, the obvious that like, you'll learn the more that you do. But I think like, for example, uh, um, to protect yourself, especially like, let's say you're going into this new situation, like this, this new type of project where maybe you've done something similar, but not exactly. And like you said, like it's, it's absolutely inevitable that like when you're doing development, like a part of that work in and of itself is discovery, which therefore like could lead to a bunch more work. And so if this is something that you're unfamiliar with, like to any degree, then like probably charging hourly might be to your benefit, right? Like this is not a plug and play thing that you know that you can do and like f- whatever, a certain amount of steps. And so like, it, it seems like, and maybe it intentionally or not that like, and regardless of the miscommunication, what happened was you had to put more time in it. Therefore you were compensated for it. Right. If you actually went into this and you thought like, well, I just did this for, for beer finder. I think it would take X hours. I think it would be this valuable to them. Whatever it is that you sold them, you may or may not have like shot yourself in the foot. It's hard to say, right? It really depends how much how much you charge. But I think that um something that we like learned over time, a couple things was that like, yeah, in situations where there was like a lot of uncertainty. So like especially in like the web scraping space when you're dealing with certain websites that have um, certain anti scraping technologies on them. It's like, it it can just be like literally trying to bypass whatever it is that they're doing, like every other week. Do you know what I mean? So like the, the, the the scope there can really blow up. So in cases like that, where things are very uncertain is very much like this is an hourly rate. And then we'll just kind of like, there is like a lot of communication generally around like up to what budget, um, And then, and then from there, like people, people can choose to stop it or not. Right. Like at at whatever point it's no longer like, um, the cost is no longer like a reasonable amount for the value you're getting out of it. But again, it's a bit, the nature of that's a bit different than like, uh, a a checkout, which somebody probably needs versus like Mm -hmm. somebody who's scraping maybe like 50 to 70 websites. Maybe they can drop one. Right. Um, but then yeah. for, th- for things that were like obvious to us, let's say it's like a site that we've done before, or like a very like very similar to something we've done before. Like yeah, often it would be value based, and we generally always charged significantly higher than other companies. But always operated on the premise that like we didn't really do things like CRs or change requests. So for mm-hmm. anyone who's ever worked at an agency or with an agency there's often this culture of like every time the client asks for something slightly different, we charge them for a change request. And it's not, it's not cheap. It's like we charge them for like, we we quote it, we charge it, we quote it, we charge it, like every little change, which I think is ridiculous in the software realm because you just like, you just, it's unpredictable. You just don't know exactly what you're going to run into. Um, So I think like you need to operate within boundaries, but that like, yeah, the the method that we had there generally worked out quite well, which is that We charged a premium price. So we were able to have some flexibility and still make like a decent amount of money on most projects. But, you know, like still every once in a while you end up in situations where you're just like, wow, we're losing money on this, a lot of money right now. Um,
1: Yeah. 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 That's one of the risks, right? Is like, yeah. Um, Just going back to what you said there, like I do, you're right. Like their checkout, they would not have been able to like not have the checkout. Right. And so, you know, they were also, they're a pretty, new startup like they're um they're not like fresh like they are just getting started pre-revenue um they have revenue and they know that they need a good checkout that's gonna like sustain their purchases and whatnot so uh you know but they're also not like at a level of like i don't know (laughs) like a large um a company that's taken investment they've bootstrapped themselves and so i think there may be different approaches to like how you deal with those companies and that and that has to do with or how you approach that can change too that with right. your value-based pricing i think sometimes the value you need to look at is not so much like what's the value of this product but what's the value of this to my client or yes. what is kind of the size of my client and what is their kind of tolerance for I don't know, risk and, and things like that. And I think I've been trying to dig into this value-based pricing a bit more to, because I've often find it to be honestly like a bit of BS in, in a certain way. Uh, at least just the way that they say is like, well, just ask a series of questions to figure out what the value is of this thing to your customer. And it's like, okay, so you want a new website. Well, let's assume this new website's going to make you you know a 10% increase in revenue and it's like okay but like finding that 10% increase in revenue just by a new yeah. design or a new site like th- that part is the kind of BS part that is like hard to actually like narrow in on but I was watching some talks and uh this one person I think Chris do I've actually never said his name out loud uh but he you have a pretty good talk on value-based pricing that didn't so much approach it necessarily only from like the value in terms of revenue, and there's actually value in the risk profile as well. And so it's like if there is risk, uh, and I'll take the example of this checkout. Um, the risk is that you have customers coming and the checkout has bugs in it and they can't pay, and yeah. uh, or the risk uh, if to go even. To something more vague. Well, before I go there, that is a very like um, clear value proposition of like why you could go with me. Who's going to build it? Yes, it's going to be more expensive, but you can trust that that software is going to be dependent, dependent upon, and you know we're going to fix it. And I'll be here to fix things, you know, for a period of time after. And we're going to craft it in a way that it's you know able to be like it's just well coded software versus you might be dealing with constant bugs and like you might have payments like malfunctioning if some new person uh makes your checkout
0: right yeah that that makes complete sense i yeah and i think uh at the beginning when you're kind of saying like some of its bs i because i haven't done a lot of work in like the web space like selling trying to sell through like features or websites or whatever I don't think I would I would be equipped to like approach that because the type of work that I did previously it was a lot easier to ask those kinds of questions like how are you getting this data now? Oh, you have internal employees working on it? How do they do it? How much time are they spending on it? Like in that case it that is almost just like what are your expenses against it? And then like trying to also understand like what do you use this for? You know, like um it made it pretty obvious in some cases, but still I think like more often more times than not we probably undershot it significantly but you don't usually learn those things especially when you're in like a, a longer term partnership until like later down the road when you know I've been talking to these people for 6 months and I get even like more of an idea of how they're using it and more of an idea of how that translates into profit for them and then like yeah oftentimes I'd be sitting there like oh man like we could have charged a lot more but like you just you're kind of you're in it at that point so it's a it's yeah, a it's, tricky it's thing it's that I definitely so don't have nailed hard. down
1: <laughs> It's so hard to come from an outside context, not knowing your business, like aside from just what you tell me about it, and yeah. like yeah, going into this project, like it looks simple from the outside, but then you realize how much is like, int- like these intricate details in there. Yeah. Um. So it is really hard. I think what I'm, you know, part of why going bringing this all back to like the site builder thing is like I think one way that you can really do value-based pricing a lot better is if you niche in really hard because if all my projects are like extremely different uh, I'm building a website like generic website here I'm building a checkout here maybe a mobile app and they might all be in different spaces if you became like the checkout developer and then you're only working with like Stripe or Shopify and building these custom checkouts and you have this reusable code now that you've pulled from different projects and that you've built up this expertise you know the API inside and out what it can and can't do then you have a much more first you're going to move faster so charging hourly at that point just shoots yourself in the foot uh, because you're able to pull a week's worth of work over in a file and and it's right there and i did do some of that actually with this past project so really th- i think the project from scratch because i did do some of this on beer finder would have taken uh even would have cost more yeah. to be honest um but then the other part of that is just having this yeah r- repeatable thing that now uh i know kind of more the scope of what this could be and i know what's out of scope or what would be additional scope and so if i have this kind of like website template and um And I know these are the components that we use. Okay, so, yeah. Excuse me. These are the components that that we're going to use. And you also want like a date picker for your cookie business or like to get deliveries, (laughs) right? Uh, And schedule them. Well, I don't have that. That's a custom component. But we have the about page stuff already done. We have the video player. Or maybe they're like, we really want it to look like this and this and this versus the kind of default structure. That's what I can do and like price that out like as a component of work. And then the rest of it is kind of the standard value. So then you can kind of have these tiers of like really easily defining like, hey, a website is going to cost, I don't know, 10K or something, like making a number up uh, with kind of the base. And yeah, it might take me only a short period of time to actually get that uh, maybe we need. And if we want to go beyond the predefined designs or predefined components there, we price those out in addition to it. And that's kind of like your um, handholdy package uh, Yeah, and then hand that over. And so that that's kind of a lot of what I'm thinking about is just like you need to niche in to really do that well. Otherwise you're going to be just constantly like, trying to figure out beforehand and then yeah you do need to price way higher if you're going to get value-based pricing correct without knowing the scope as well because you need to give yourself that padding of like a few extra weeks Um, yeah
0: i like i yeah i think that that all makes complete sense like i also just want to point out that like in terms of niching that your name cam kind of rhymes with man so you could be like cam the checkout man Cam that you could be whatever you can. You can just slot in whatever your niche is, just in case you wanted to use that branding in the future. It's open um, there for you. Um, <laughs> I just thought I should share yeah, that, that, that before it left my mind. Um, but I, but I totally agree with you. Like even to the extent that when I used to work in uh, at um, Click, I worked with a, a developer. It, he was a freelancer, and he just did banner ads, HTML five banner ads. That is all that he did. Um, Mm -hmm. and they're not cheap to be clear like it's not cheap to get a banner ad done Um, and it was interesting because there's also this like uh, I think he used to do like flash banners but then there was this right about when I started having the fun and games of working on banner ads was when they were transitioning from mostly flash to HTML Um, and so he was like you know I don't want to say one of the first people, but like, yeah, one, one of the people at the forefront of like, oh, you need this now, like I'm the person who does it, you know? And mm-hmm. um, I know he did banner ads for Click, but also like when I looked at his portfolio, like he was doing them for like most of the major banks in Canada as well, which like you can imagine, like, you know, pays pretty well. And and not that not that it's not complex, I don't know, I don't develop them, but it's like less complex than a lot of other things that you could build. Um, but, but by niching in and also like, being able to be like the first one there and being able to like replicate so many things across banner ads. I imagine. Um, yeah. Like it was probably, it's probably a lucrative spot to be in or was. You I also don't know. Yeah.
1: Become, you know, uh, more of a consultant, less of just an executor. Cause it's like if you do banner ads, but you also do newspaper ads or, yeah. or if we're talking strictly development, you do like websites and then someone asks you, can you do banner ads? You're like, sure, I'll do that. And then right. you kind of like figure it out. But like, if you're only doing them, you're going to realize best practices really quickly. And so if your client comes and says like, here's this banner ad with like all this text and all this stuff, and you're like, we can only fit so much of this in a best practices way, or like really what's going to grab people's attention is this. And so you're actually coming much more as like, um, I don't know, it's less about just delivering a product. You're more thinking about the business value to them and helping them (coughs) achieve that as an expert. And I think that's like kind of the, the dream there and and actually what you you're saying too can lead you to like um you know what starts off as a service like doing to one or two clients or providing to one or two clients you um you can find those repeatable patterns upgrade your technology and processes that you're using you know kind of shift it over to like a productized service and then it can eventually become well like a full-on product if you yeah. put the time into it yeah uh, so, yeah, just interested in, in that approach and, uh, yeah, just been thinking a lot more on it. Um, to, to get back quickly to the uh, customer call, like it did end super well in that we, you know, agreed that like it was more of a communication issue. What I ended up saying is like, um, look, I'm here for you to like make some like to put this completely over the finish line. Uh, you know no charge Uh, you know I I didn't have to do that but I wanted to make sure that like I'm going above and beyond for people that I'm working with and that you know when it comes time that they're thinking of their next project or they know someone who's looking for someone that they're going to refer to me uh, refer me as well and, and I think you know it doesn't like if I had a full calendar of projects right now then I wouldn't be able to offer that and i would have you know said like i'm really sorry i can't do that right now um maybe i would find a way to work it in but really what this allows me to do is just like you know go above and beyond it's gonna leave an impression uh of like really having a good experience working together even though that pricing wasn't like quite what they were expecting and um and i know that they really appreciated that i said you know we can you know split payments if we need to or we can we can manage it however we can we can do this over a period of time and right you know that's because i have you know the flexibility to be able to do that as a one person show and and kind of like really go above and beyond rather than having to like i don't know scrape every dollar out of it um and hopefully you know I, i think it will pay off so
0: cool yeah i think that's great
1: yeah um the only other thing for for me is like uh beer finder like i I was like talking about that last week, and it's kind of still like i'm I've been having to have these kind of like conversations in little pieces with like the other people involved and and it's so fragmented and so like there may be continuing work on beer finder we're looking at exploring that, and then I'm just but it's been challenging to like really. I haven't got everyone on a call together, which I was trying to do, like you know, a couple of weeks yeah. ago when I was super bummed out on that call or the, on our call uh, yeah. because of what happened. And then, so I'm really trying to like figure that out right now too. Um, but at the same time, I'm I'm definitely not making like that my only priority because I want to make sure that I don't know. I just want to hedge my bets a bit and also explore some new things and and yeah. So um but you know just if it comes up in like a week or you know on the podcast it's like oh and beer finder this or that it's like you know that, yeah just to make well, sure there's i'll look forward continuity. to see kind
0: of like what's going on with that yeah um yeah so maybe we'll touch base there. next week and then uh ask again
1: yeah what's cool. going on in your world
0: yeah, I think um, it's funny. You said that you had a lighter week, but then we had like a really fruitful conversation. But I also had a, a pretty um, light week. Actually, one thing that's interesting. Um, so um, every week, my chapter, which is delivery systems, we have a uh, like a, a team meeting every week. And <clears throat> we do these things, which we call Pecha Kuchas, but I think it's actually pronounced Pecha Have you ever heard of them?
1: No. Okay. Uh, it sounds like somewhat familiar, but no. so
0: the way that it works um, is you have a PowerPoint or whatever presentation format that you want. And I think it's like you have 20 slides and um they are they should all be photos. Um so I think the you're not really supposed to use any text. <coughs> and each slide stays up for 20 seconds. I think we do 15 seconds, but I think traditionally it's like 20 by 20 and they're auto-timed. So basically you choose a topic, like any topic, and you have 20 photos and 20 seconds each and it just the the thing just auto-plays and you just have to like talk, you know, about whatever your, your subject is. And so for us, we do it so that like, you know, when, when you're starting a meeting and some people like funnel in like a couple minutes late or whatever it is, so you're kind of waiting to get mm-hmm, started. Mm-hmm. Instead, like whoever is responsible for facilitating that week, they start with their petchakucha, petchukucha, however you say it, right on the the starting time. So that as people like kind of like funnel in, well, hopefully they're on, they're there on time so they catch it, but that's just in case anyone's late, then like by the time everyone's in there, we're done with that. And we're like starting into the other content Anyways, first of all, it's a really fun activity. So you get to choose your own topic, which I really struggle with because I think similar to like this podcast for me, I'm, I'm always thinking like, I don't know. I, I don't really know if I have anything like interesting to talk about, or if this would be interesting to people or not. Um, so anyways, point being, um, it's really fun. But the second thing is that I did it this week on our podcast. So I thought that was like, anyways, that's why I'm bringing it up. Um, so I did like the 20 by 20 on work pals podcast and just like ah. the, ad- yeah. <laughs> on, and like the adventure of like, like, how I know you and like how you propose this podcast and like being unsure about it. And, and then that like how we set it all up and what it's like and all that kind of stuff. So it was like, anyway, it's kind of fun to go through. And, um, but interestingly, like, yeah, I always have trouble coming up with topics. So then I suggested that we do like a secret Santa kind of thing for it. So we choose each other's topics, which I think should, will be very interesting. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I also think I'll like it more. I, I, yeah, I don't know. Um, what?
1: Uh, okay, wait. So, I still don't think I'm fully grasping the concept. (laughs) Um, You pick all the photos. Like if it's your week, you pick all the photos and they would be around the topic that you're discussing. I'm guessing. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And you would have 20 photos, you said, and they are 20 seconds each. And so, um, and then you just talk about, do you talk about the photos while they're up? And yeah, so they're meant to be like guidelines. Yeah.
0: Guidelines for like what you're speaking about. Like, it's meant to just kind of like guide you through the story basically. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think, yeah, it's about seven minutes long. So the idea is like, obviously you practice and stuff beforehand, but that like, when you're presenting or like even when you're practicing, like once that 20 seconds is up, like you're on the next slide. So if you took too long to explain or whatever it is, like you yeah, just need to just move on whatever. Yeah. or you could just end up with empty space also. So sometimes it's like interesting because it helps you improvise or, you know, a lot. Um, yeah. So basically it's like you choose your topic, you put together your slides, you do the presentation. It's just like, um, yeah, there's like whole communities around it where they do like kacha nights all over the world and people do it kind of like Toastmasters to practice their speaking skills.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, I do think there's, you know, I, I took a presentations class in university and like part of what we really had to dial in was like the time. It was so brutal, this course. They would fail basically anything because it was like you needed an intro that was one minute. You needed the, the middle part to be three minutes. Uh, yeah. And then you needed the outro to be another minute and it had to fall within like 20 seconds or maybe 15 seconds of each of those like parts there or you would get docked severely and then there was so much around just like how you present yourself and i think everyone in that class though really grew as presenters and just being able to speak um to like in public i guess and then you know part of what this pecha kacha or uh thing is is really going to help with is is figuring out that time that you have and that cadence so that you can be able to pull out stories better and know you know what your um i guess yeah like if you go up and do a ted talks you're not allowed to probably just go on for an hour like yeah. you need to have it structured in a very tight fashion and so that it kind of helps with that but also just kind of off it's a little more off the cuff too with that you're going to be improvising and i think that improvising is a great skill as opposed to just having to like read off slides uh or read off your notes when slides are up you can really tell when someone is they knows their subject they know their subject and they're talking about it versus reading about it as they present it
0: yeah that's fair and i think uh i enjoy presenting i get pretty nervous beforehand but i think i think i have a decent amount of natural ability for presenting. But with that being said, I also would like to do more work to improve my skills in the space because I see some people around me and the their skills in presenting just like absolutely blows me away. Um yeah, because there's probably a lot more like formal techniques that I'm unaware of and that just because I'm kind of like a loud enthusiastic person who conveys things with emotions, people my presentations are generally like fine and well, but there's definitely people who I see employ other tactics that I think like, "Oh wow, you know, that's very impressive." Um yeah, so they're, yeah.
1: There are definitely styles, right? And like you can suit to different styles and it, I think it really comes down to storytelling too. It's something I've been interested in exploring further. Not necessarily even around presentations, but maybe like a storytelling workshop or something because like storytelling is is belie- like I don't know. I was gonna say believe it or not, but it, it's pretty believable. But it's like all around us, and it's yeah. like even in your marketing copy for yep. your landing page. Like, what does that top banner and the you know twelve to or I don't know forty words that you get up there? Like, what does that say clearly and concisely? That t- kind of puts your brand out there and in a you know in a good fashion uh from that to like making videos about your products or just telling stories with friends like it can help you in so many different ways and i honestly think i'm a pretty bad storyteller when it comes down to like remembering like a thing that happened and and going and telling a story about it whereas some people i know just captivate you and you're like man that's just like something that happened the other day and they yeah. just have like they can pull these stories out but make it really engaging and I, I think there's so much value to that and i think it's probably um you know it feels like it's just natural and to some people it is but i also think there's if maybe a way to look out for that in uh and train that within yourself to to really get better at it and i, I think there are like uh toast masters you said yeah. you said that one right um and and things like that that are kind of around that concept of bettering your storytelling. And so yeah, I've been thinking about that. I, I'm thinking a lot about just like what skills can I improve upon right now while I'm like not actively on a project. Uh, yeah. And what you know, what are my weaknesses right now? And some of it is around storytelling. Some of it like design and those things. And you know, kind of improving. Uh, just self-improvement so that I can be more Uh, well-rounded as a founder. It's kind of going to be necessary to be able to do a bit of everything. And so, yeah.
0: Yeah. I like, um, well, I'll use this opportunity also to plug one of my really good friends. His name is Johnny and he is a phenomenal writer and actually he, uh, owns his own business where he helps people with storytelling specifically. Like that's what he does. Um, so uh, we can put it in the show notes, but for anyone who's interested his Instagram and like, I think all his social media is what John wrote J O H N. Um, yeah. And so he specifically like specializes in helping businesses tell their stories. Like that is like, like specifically what he does. Um, yeah, he's also just like a a great person, great writer, um, super intelligent guy. Went to university with him. Um, yeah. So anyways, I brought up the petch, Pecha Kucha stuff, just because I thought it was funny that it was um, about this podcast. But um, outside of that, uh, what
1: picture? Wait, what pictures did you put up then? Did
0: um, you- so some of them, some of them, I just used like um, I, I'm going to say the word clip art, but more like not like you know, not like Microsoft Word type clip art, but like some some iconography, yeah. I guess. Um, some of the photos were like podcasts that were our inspiration, so. Um, art of product or founder quest. There were some photos of us involved. Um, There were photos of microphones involved. Uh, Really, there's like a yeah, there was just really anything depending on what I was kind of talking about in that moment. Um, but I did leave. people on... ask
1: questions? I forgot to ask that. Um, or it's kind of like, ah, we're into it. Yeah. yeah,
0: not not really. Maybe somebody will ask like one or two questions. Um, Maybe but then, on
1: the way out of the meeting, you're kind of like, oh, that was a cool petrica today Yeah, and yeah. Like, you're like on your way to, you know, instead of wa- awkwardly walking next to each other to your <laughs> like desk side by side. <laughs> right, like, yeah.
0: Because then ge- that generally the way that it works is the person who's facilitating does that, but we also have kind of article clubs. The person who's facilitating will have also pre-shared an article that everyone reads. And so we kind of dig right into talking about that, um, which is also an interesting challenge every week to find something that's, uh, yeah. Interesting for everyone to engage with and like a cool subject matter. Um, yeah, but, um, I cool. was outside of that on the work front. Um, this week, actually, this week was really fun. I did a lot of presenting. So I, I I think last week I presented at our dev all hands meeting. And then this week I got to present at like the all hands, all hands meeting. Um, so I don't know if I mentioned that last week or not. But anyways, um, that was fun. So I, I mentioned that I'm on the committee for the hackathon. So I did some presenting around that. And then for the development, all hands, uh, I did a small presentation on accelerate metrics, which is basically like um, th- their DevOps Metrics. Um, okay. And they're, they're basically just these like core four metrics um, where the idea is that they are like the only four metrics based on research that truly indicate High-performing teams um, in a in a bunch of different areas and specific so number
1: of lines of code written. <laughs> no, so not number that. of commits. <laughs> <I> <laughs> but know, I'm um,
0: yeah, uh, so actually, the I mean the the four metrics as they are. Um, basically, the first one is oh my gosh, and I'm going to mess them up because I, I'm out of my presentation. But um, wait, can
1: I guess uh, any of them? Yeah, you like, can you can guess. I just want to you know, if I, I, before being told what they are, I just, I'm trying to think of like, what would really, and obviously you telling me will be better, but like, I feel like one of the, um, one of the great, like, I'm trying to think of like, what has really helped our teams to be more productive. Some of it might be like how quickly you can release like, or rapid release schedules. So maybe Mm -hmm. like cadence, is that anything to do with it?
0: Yep, so um, deployment yes. frequency per week.
1: Okay, I'm done guessing. That's that's all I got.
0: Okay, um, so deployment frequency um, per week. Uh, the other one is... Um, I like that. The other one is uh, mean time to resolution. Um, For like a
1: bug or something? or <coughs> Yeah,
0: so basically like uh, any time where you do a, a deploy that basically results in... Um, Something that you consider a service incident, so something that needs to be immediately rolled back or that you need to do a roll forward. <clears throat> How long does it take you um, from the time that, that it happens to the time that you resolve it? Um, and then related to that one is basically um, the change failure percentage. So what percentage of releases result in a change failure or a service incident? So those two are interrelated. Mm-hmm. And then the other one that you touched on, um, deployment frequency, the related one around that is... Um, it's it's called lead time and basically the 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 measurement there is from the time at which um like code is complete or committed to the time that it's deployed in production.
1: Okay, yeah. What what's the uh what's this called? Or is there
0: a Yeah, it's called Accelerate. So it's from the book called Accelerate. Um and it's it's basically like yeah, a bunch of research from um the state of DevOps that's published in this book. Um and they really focus in on these core core these four key metrics that differentiate between like low, medium, and high performing teams um, based on the that's, research that they've done.
1: Yeah, I think that's super valuable. Th- those all sound extremely reasonable. Obviously, well thought out. Um, because yeah, I've heard you know we, I've heard too many. Uh, other ways of of approaching this that just don't measure up i was listening to a podcast on it yesterday actually uh, uh or not solely on this um but it was getting into kind of some of the methodologies of measuring productivity uh and it was even around the conversation of like the value that you're providing to customers and, and such and it was just yeah interesting to hear like i think that podcast would have benefited from having this as a reference because it really does give you some metrics that are able to be used. Well, the I'm remembering now the the podcast conversation was kind of like, if you start setting metrics as targets, then you start, it's kind of a losing game. Uh, And what I'm, I guess they mean by that is like, say that you have metrics and you're like, yeah, we want to be, I don't know, executing so much. So like you make shipping lines of code, the the metric that you have a target for, Uh, then if you start making a specific target, people will just kind of shift the way that they work. Yes. Yeah. To trying to approach that only. And so if, or if their target, so if their target is number of lines of code, then you write like longer, you know, sloppier code maybe, or you don't put so much care into like the um, abstractions maybe, yep. or if the target is um, how quickly you commit or how many, if it's solely like number of regressions, uh, like errors that come up, uh, then, then you might avoid like, you might have this new risk profile of like, yep. oh, well, we um, we don't touch that part of the code base because it could <laughs> deploy something that breaks. I think that even applies here yeah. to a point where <clears throat> so you I don't want like, to go um, too much. Yeah, into it's like it. it's like
0: exactly what you said. Like I think the lines of code one is a good example because it's like if you say we're gonna measure on how many lines you write, like like as in more is better, then people might unnecessarily write lines of code. But even if you go the other direction, like Okay, so maybe it should be like how little lines of code you can do something in. But then people might write things in such a way that it's not easily understood by like another human, right? And so Mm -hmm, I mm -hmm. think like so the thing right with these four metrics in the organization is we're we're very much trying to do like education around like why are these metrics important? Like, what are the actual outcomes that we're driving towards? That is the goal, and this is a measure of it. So that like because even like an example here, like with deployment frequency, like what you said, like you could just deploy more frequently things that have no value to the end user when really the goal of this is to understand how often we're delivering something of value to our end users so like that means that probably as a squad or as an organization we need to have some ideas around like um you know wh- what it, what is a valuable deploy when should we and should we not be deploying um i mean there's yeah it's kind of like i mean yeah go ahead
1: just if you are deploying super frequently and that's one of the metrics, but you didn't have the uh, number of regressions and rollback or roll forward times, then you're going to end up running into, you know, we just ship, 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 but you're shipping all these bugs out and then the quality goes down. Exactly. Uh, And so you need to counterbalance that.
0: And so kind of that's the idea is that the first two metrics, like lead time and deployment frequency, are measures of like, how fast can we do certain things? So how fast can we go from code commit to deployment? And then, like, how frequently can we can we deploy things? And then because you you want to do things fast, but you don't want to do them kind of at the expense of stability, then that's where the other two metrics come in. So, like, how quickly can we restore things? Because I think previously and historically, often people would measure things like, how long has it been since our last service incident? Um, and so people would just do anything possible to, like, avoid failure. Um, but when we're super scared of that, um, like that that's not ideal either. I think the reality is, is like we deal with like very complex systems and we're trying to do things quickly. So like failure is inevitable. So if it's mm-hmm. inevitable, then the focus becomes when it happens, do we have the right things in place to restore quickly? And then the last one is is truly just a measure of like how often are we failing? Because um, it is it is important to like understand that as well.
1: Do you want low numbers of, of failing? I guess that comes down like or do you want to fail more often with quick resolution times? Like, uh, you know, uh, there because that you might have this kind of like um, four items pick three type of scenario uh, where instead it's like okay, we want to like we can really increase our acceleration of shipping yeah. quickly, but then you're going to have more regressions. But as long as we have a really good system for like turning those back over uh automated or manual but like a quick way to roll forward or back then you know at least it's resolved in this short time yeah uh, you know and then, so then the number could be high but you're at least like catching it immediately and, exactly. and So
0: yeah. and so they're all quite interrelated so i think what we're trying to do right now is actually get people to focus on one because so for example the squad that i i worked with Most recently, uh, one thing that we were working on was deployment frequency. And one thing that stopped people from wanting to deploy super frequently was that it wasn't like the most automated, seamless, easy process, right? But like, Mm -hmm. like, what will motivate you more than having to do it like? To, to fix it up, to make it better, to make it more automated than having to do it more frequently. So all of a sudden when we're trying to like meet these benchmarks of deploying more frequently and we feel all those pains over and over and over again and we're intimately familiar with them, it becomes easy for us to start um automating certain things or adjusting certain things such that that process becomes easier and easier and in doing that, you're you're now decreasing your delivery lead time, right? So like or, or maybe it's that like a bunch of um, bugs come up or service incidents every single time. Then like we need to figure out why that is. Like, is our deployment um, process reliable? Is it is it risky? Like, w- what's kind of going on there? So, anyways, they're pretty interesting. Um, one of my kind of objectives for the quarter is helping to roll this out for the organization. So I've been spending a bunch of time on that.
1: I, I love this stuff. Like, I love the DevOps kind of uh, role that like. I always have taken that on to a certain point, no matter which team or company I'm a part of to like help improve those things. And I, even now as a solo, you know, contractor, like building out this last project, like I, I implement a lot of that within what I'm doing. Uh, And it's kind of just embedded in me now uh, to a point, at least the, you know, making sure that it's really simple to deploy where I can like, or really simple to develop on as well, like being able to, because that will, um, matter for your frequency of shipping too. like we, when we were at, uh, look at, we had a ton of different projects, for example, or repositories, different places you would store code. And then when you wanted to, um, develop a new feature, you might have to set up each of those projects and like pull the latest, uh, link it to the other one because they're all kind of interdependent and then and then manage kind of like the local state of like getting that all set up could be complicated i had spent like a whole morning sometimes setting up an environment so that i could work across all these projects that are interdependent and i know that i was not the only one and i was like this is hard isn't it (laughs) like this is too hard it should be easier and we ended up you know taking basically two weeks as a team to go completely rethink like how could this be better uh, so that we can you know press like one button and it will deploy or not deploy it will start up your dev environment and then when you push to a branch it will just deploy the environment in its entirety with all the pieces that are needed and be able to you know use feature toggles to be able to turn things on and off quickly and as opposed to maybe you know going to like a develop branch then a staging branch then right. promote it to production and that that's a slower process and so I bake a lot of those things into like what I do today, but it's all because I've like lived through it too and i I love that type of stuff where afterwards we saw you know it wasn't perfect we had issues with some of it, but it was so much faster we were able to ship so quickly and get to where we wanted to be with like a much better developer experience like we enjoyed working in the project the way it was as opposed to being frustrated with trying right. to get everything set up i don't know I, and I, think it's I, like, I love this stuff
0: it's those types of improvements too that like we like we like we need to do them like if if product wants you know time by developers and QA individuals on the team to really be focused on features and things like that. Like we need to do this type of work as well. Like we need to make sure this stuff is like not eating up so much time so that we, we can work on feature work, but we like can get that stuff out to customers quickly and kind of, it's, it's all interrelated and Um But yeah, so, I mean, I, I won't dig into too much more of it today, um, but basically like, Our chapter has a bunch of kind of uh, objectives for the quarter. So this one I'm not leading, but it's one of the ones that we will be working on this quarter. So more to come on Accelerate Metrics. But I also have a bunch of notes I've written on it. So maybe I'll just share my Notion link in the notes in case anyone's interested in some resources. Um, But for me, I'm more leading kind of an objective around culture modeling in the organization. So I won't dig into it today anymore um, just because it's a bit heavy. But maybe next week we'll talk about it. Um, just because of where we're at with time right now. And then I also like in terms of the stuff that I discussed last week. So around, um, JavaScript course and my mom's business, I don't have big updates right now, only small ones. So I think I'm going to save them. Um, yeah. And then I'll, I'll give kind of like a more robust update next week, um, around that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah. Cool. Um, you should listen to this podcast. I'll share it with you. It was like an indie hackers podcast and it was around this brother and sister partnership yeah uh of selling cookies oh delivery by delivery and it's fascinating and it's basically just like setting up they didn't use Shopify but basically setting that up and because they had like this um just I'll share it with you but it's a really cool story of how they are able to like basically kind of think software first and then grow this like almost like scalable like platform because the guy had so much experience with like really high performing software yeah that he was able to scale this cookie business oh. even though it's in like a, a small city like they have like a 20 kilometer radius or something oh, wow. that they deliver to and uh and make like hundreds of thousands huh a month that's in, pretty cool wow yeah uh, I'll, I'll share it it's just really interesting to think about the e-commerce side and not so much just about software as a service but yeah like cookies as a service <laughs>
0: yeah. uh, i'm down cool well i think this has been like a super interesting conversation um i've enjoyed yeah, that it that was great yeah. yeah for sure okay um so with that maybe we'll sign off
1: i think so yeah
0: okay so if anybody's uh looking for us i'm sure you know where we are but uh you can find us um at work pals on twitter okay see ya hey, enjoy your sunday